Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. If you would, take out your Bible and open it to the Gospel according to John chapter 20. And in the meantime, I'll share a story with you. I heard about Easter last week. Uh, there was a, a family that invited a lot of people over for Easter lunch, family and friends. And the mom was getting ready and she was pretty frantic. Uh, but when everybody got there, they sat down uh, after church to have a beautiful Easter dinner. And she had asked her daughter to say the prayer, blessing the food. And the daughter had said, Mom, I don't know what to say. She said, just pray like Mommy does. And so they all bowed their heads. She said, the Lord be with you and also with you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, why did I invite so many people? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the, uh, it's, uh, it, it is wonderful to have celebrated Easter and seen so many people back from COVID for that day. And I'm looking forward to seeing more and more of them again soon as, as the COVID begins to, they get their vaccinations and they begin to return to active life. Today we are looking at this chapter 20, and there are two views in the Gospels that always cause me to look and see what's going on. One is how people react to Jesus, and the other is how Jesus reacts to their reaction. Uh, both views are fairly consistent, and we see it especially in the resurrection accounts. Uh, here in this chapter, the disciples are living in the present moment, discouraged and afraid because of what has happened in the past. While Jesus brings peace into the present moment and points the disciples to the future. Jesus brings a kingdom viewpoint, a kingdom vision to situations where the disciples bring their own disappointing experiences to interpret the situation. Today's gospel reading picks up on the evening of Easter day, the day of the resurrection, but let's go back to the beginning of the chapter first to see what had been happening, because it's a pretty busy day, as you can imagine. We'll go back to the morning of the same day, Easter morning, and on that day, as far as the disciples could see, it was over. Stick a fork in it. You know. They had run up against a brick wall, and it wasn't supposed to end this way, but it did. They were supposed to be winners. And instead, they were losers, and there was nothing left in them or for them but a painful sense of helplessness and shame that they had betrayed Christ by running away from him and denying him. Disciples didn't know anything more at that point. They didn't realize that soon they would experience the greatest joy of their lives, the greatest joy they had ever known or would ever know. And uh, chapter 20 is the story of them receiving and realizing that joy in their own lives. This is when Christ brings the truth of the resurrection with all of its joy and hopeful future to these sad and backwards-looking, discouraged followers. So let's begin uh, prior to Easter morning, because that is when 
Joseph of Arimathea and with uh, Nicodemus' help, they got permission to bury Jesus' body. And so they had gone and wrapped him in uh, linen wrappings and with about 100 pounds of uh, incense and spices just to cut the smell of a decaying body. And they had placed him in the garden tomb. And the body lay in that tomb from late Friday through Saturday, the Sabbath, when Jesus actually was very busy in hell, harrowing hell, and uh, bringing those who believed in him back to eternal life, until actually Easter Day, the resurrection, when he left that tomb, which was sometime before sunrise. Now, sometime early on Easter morning, after he was resurrected, Mary Magdalene and a group of women had gone to finish the work of preparing his body for permanent burial, entombment. And they had taken more spices, more uh, cloth, everything to be prepared to do that uh, because they started their work on Friday and the Sabbath was Saturday. And once they had sundown, they couldn't keep working. There was a proscription against work on the Sabbath. So they had had to stop with the knowledge that they would come back on Monday, which they did. And they came back around probably... uh, Sun up, which is when you kind of can see things, but not very well yet. And don't worry about that baby. There is no more beautiful sound in the church than a child's voice. So please, just relax and enjoy the baby. Uh, the rest of us are. <laughs> okay. And the stone had been removed from the entrance. And they didn't know what to think. The body wasn't present. Someone, had they broken into the tomb and taken the body? Had they done one more attack on Jesus, even in his death? It had to be bad news because it didn't happen the way they expected it to happen. And isn't that true for us? Isn't it true for us that when things don't happen the way we expect them to happen, we think it's bad news all the time? And isn't it interesting that there are times when it's actually good news when things don't happen the way we expect them to happen? That was certainly the case here. Uh, they appeared to be bad things, but it turns out that they were very good things. And so the women decided to inform the disciples because they, at that point, yet did not know what was going on. And Mary Magdalene left to give the message to John and Peter, and John and Peter ran to the tomb because they didn't know what was going on. Uh, John beat him by quite a bit because uh, Peter is a... uh, fullback, and they can only run about 50 yards before they start petering out. No pun intended. And in John 20, verse 5, we read, and stooping to look in, this is John, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. And then John 20, verses 6 and 7, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, this is what told John that indeed Jesus had risen from the dead, that this wasn't Jesus getting up and walking away like, boy, Friday was a rough day. I'm going to go take a nap now, you know. Now, uh, and despite the artistic license that we see with a lot of Jesus resurrected pictures where there is linen draping his shoulders and like, take me away, Calgon, you know, uh, these kind of things that actually... What happened was his body dematerialized and rematerialized on the other side of the cloth. 
The cloth was just where it would have been. This is what convinced John. The cloth is just where it would have been had Jesus' body been inside the cloth. Does that make sense? Okay. And so this cloth and the headpiece as well, which was probably a turban that also wrapped around his jaw because they did that for uh, corpses to keep, keep their mouth closed. All these things were just as they would have been. And so... John immediately saw, and I believe Peter did too, that the reason the stone was rolled away from the tomb was so that they could see what God had done. I mean, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and then it wasn't like he was banging on the stone going, somebody get this stone out of my way. (laughs) He obviously could go through his clothes. He could go through locked doors. He could go through the, the tomb. This part of the joys of a resurrected body, which I am really looking forward to. And the, uh, so this, God actually moved the stone to let the good news be known so it could be proclaimed. And the apostles were not the first to see Jesus. That was Mary Magdalene. And this is important because in all the gospels, Mary Magdalene is the first one to see Christ. And she wasn't an apostle. She was not one of the greats in society or in the church or in the synagogue or the temple. But she was a particular woman who had known great sin and had a know, knew her need for Jesus Christ. She knew her need for grace and that she was dependent on Jesus. Now, that's a big comfort to us as well. For us who know that we need Jesus. For those who are poor in spirit. Jesus tells the crowd in Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that truth will never change. Jesus always comes to those who know he needs, they need him. So it had been a wild day already, multiple trips to the tomb, multiple retelling of this unfolding miracle. Mary Magdalene having been the only one who's seen Jesus the disciples, I don't think, were yet convinced that Mary Magdalene knew what she was talking about because, you know, she has her days. And uh, so they still weren't there. There still were dark threats and rumors that were going around about the disciples themselves. What's going to happen to them? If they could kill Jesus, what are they going to do with us who followed Jesus? So they're afraid. They're in the room, upper room, the door is locked, out of fear. And this is when Jesus comes to them, gathered together in fear behind a locked door. And he appears to the disciples, and this is John 20, 19 through 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the door is being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus all of a sudden was in their midst, though no one had unlocked the door. And hearts were racing, adrenaline was flowing, and there were goosebumps on goosebumps. And Jesus gave them the supreme greeting, peace be with you. This is something he's going to have to keep saying again and again, because uh, he keeps getting freaked out uh, disciples. <laughs> and so, ah, ah, 
like peace, peace. Uh, so to dispel all that fear that he might have been a ghost who had come back to haunt them for being such jerks to him, uh, which they also were afraid of, he let them see that he was in his physical body, that he carried the scars of his passion, but that he was real and tangible and touchable, and that Mary Magdalene was right, (laughs) that Jesus had risen from the dead. What a night that was. What a revelation that Jesus was alive in the flesh. You know, one of the things that convinces me about the truth of the resurrection story as much as anything is how the disciples were the last ones to believe it. (laughs) I mean, they just, it was hard for them to get their, wrap their minds around it, and they struggled with it. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But not only was Jesus alive, but he had work for them to do. And this is John 20, 21 through 23. He said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, I want you to notice something here. Jesus' assignment and the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. You don't get one without the other because you can't do one without the other. When Jesus says, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And then he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is what they need to do, have to be empowered to proceed to do what Jesus has called them to do. And in John, this is John's really moment when the Holy Spirit begins to be given to the people. It's different than the uh, Luke uh, account in Acts, uh, but that was for a later time after Jesus' resurrection. But notice, Jesus, there's no retribution, there is no scolding. Instead, they were given the Holy Spirit and entrusted with an assignment. Jesus is always that way. He's always about, what are we doing here? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's keep moving ahead. That's why we're here. Snowflakes need not apply, all right? We are here to be about the work the Father has given me to do, all right? And I'll give you what you need to do that work. But one disciple had missed the whole thing. That was Thomas. And uh, people have asked why he felt the way he did. Why didn't he believe? And I don't know. Some people ask, well, was he jealous? You know, is that the reason? uh, I don't don't know. But uh, I figure, first of all, the reason he wasn't there was because we all deal with grief in different ways. And Thomas was dealing with grief in his own way, which was to be alone to be set apart for a while, just to grieve. And uh, to his credit, he was not acting like he believed something that he really didn't believe. And I appreciate that. You know, you want, you want true believers, not phony believers. They, fall, they fold pretty quickly when times get hard. And so when the other disciples approach him saying, we have seen the Lord... Verse 25 tells us, Thomas says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. So the Lord gave Thomas time to think about it, about eight days, okay? And eight days later, his disciples were again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
Once again, the doors are locked. Jesus came through the doors. Peace be with you. Then he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and put it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas may have been slow to believe, but he was not slow to grasp the implication of Christ's resurrection. Jesus was not only his Lord, but he was the creator of the universe, his God. The evidence was clear. Thomas's faith rested on the solid rock of Christ's resurrection. Now, some still today say the body was stolen by either Christ's enemies or his disciples. I've seen some recent books out again on that. I mean, it's just, I guess it's a good way to make money. Um, so maybe we could come up with some of those, you know, to raise money for the building. <laughs> you know. Either alternative is a psychological absurdity, though. His enemies would not have wanted to encourage belief in his resurrection. Why would they do it? And his disciples were willing to die for the truth. Why would they die for something they knew or even suspected was a lie? They wouldn't. The difficulties of belief may be great for some, but the absurdity of unbelief is even greater. So what about us? Well, the Lord pronounced a blessing for those of us who believe. When he said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. See, all the evidence is still there. Do you believe? John tells us that the great goal of his gospel is for you and me to believe. As Peter believed, and John and Mary and Thomas believed. That Christ is alive and is our Lord and God. Christ is alive and is our Lord and our God. Here's what he says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, <clears throat> which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. When we believe in our bones, believe in our bones, that Jesus rose from the dead and is our Lord and our God, then we obey him. And when we obey Jesus, our lives are transformed because we operate in the power of his spirit and it is in heaven that we focus our hearts and our minds so that we can build on earth what is there. Jesus came to the disciples, showed them his wounds, showed them his side, did all of this to get them back on track to do what he had come to do. You see, Adam and Eve had given away the keys to the kingdom. Satan was holding on to them when Jesus came. Jesus got them back. And he also said, I think I'll hold on to these for now. Uh, but he, he got them back so that we could get back to the work that we're called to do, which is to work with Jesus and the power of the Spirit to create on earth what is in heaven. 
that by believing you may have life in his name and that we may give that life, share that life with all that we know. You see, obedience to Jesus transforms our lives because Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to live with us. And that empowers us to be more obedient. And empowers us to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And one final thing. I want you to notice that Jesus did not do divine plastic surgery when he was resurrected. I guess he could have if he had wanted to. But he still had all the scars from the cross and from the passion. And when we see him in heaven, we're going to see those scars. And in case you are worried about recognizing Jesus, I'd say look for the scars. Because they'll be there as well. Because, see, in the kingdom... Those scars are beautiful. Those scars are glorious. And they're a sign of the great love that Jesus has for us, that he was willing to give his life so that we might have life. And so, as we do his work on earth, building his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, we too can know that as Jesus overcame the world, so will we in him. And that as we do his work, the wounds we receive at the hands of Christ's enemies will shine with Christ's glory in the kingdom of heaven. It's all good, guys. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.